Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 52 of Daffy's Roundtable. On this episode, we are joined by Ashley of Northern Lights Reptile Imports and Reptibites. We're also joined by Greg of Beneath the Canopy Exotics, but not as a guest, as our co-host for this episode. Join us as we discuss how Northern Lights Reptile Imports was started, and we discuss CITES a little bit, and then we dive into Ashley's new product that just hit the market and is already making all our lives so much easier, Reptibites. But before we do that, allow me to thank Exoterra for sponsoring this podcast and making this episode possible. Exoterra makes quality products for our pet reptiles to make them feel at home. Okay, without further ado, everybody, please help me welcome Ashley Dazan of Northern Lights Reptile Imports and Reptibites. <laughs> Mr. Greg, Ashley, hello. Hello, guys. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you guys both very much for coming on. Greg, thank you for co-hosting. Ashley, we're super excited to have this conversation. Um, we have, you know, I think I think Reptibites has been, over the last couple of weeks, the talk of the town in the reptile community. I think we can all agree on this. And for a good reason, um, I think we're all super excited. I know, personally, I'm going to be trying this very, very soon because I'm going to pick some up from you at the CRBE. I think I know Greg is doing the same thing, although... He's already tried it, so well. But we'll get into yeah. It's the, <laughs> we'll get into all the Reptibite stuff. Let's start from the top. Um, Ashley, tell us a little bit about you. How did you? How long have you been keeping reptiles? What are your favorite reptiles to keep? That kind of stuff. Hit us. All that. that all stuff that jazz. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I've never actually been like a reptile keeper ever since I was young. Like, I just I was never allowed to keep reptiles. So I was always like catching frogs in the ponds and stuff. And what I would do is I'd have a book with me when I was a kid and I'd have like an outline of a frog. And every time I'd find a frog, I'd mark it specific patterns. So I could calculate throughout the entire summer or years, how many times I've seen that frog. That was so cheesy. That was such that's a awesome. Not, no, that's <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I did. And I lived in Quebec at the time and there was a lot of exanthic frogs and paradox exanthic uh, green frogs and bullfrogs that lived on the property. So there was a bright turquoise blue or sky blue or green and blue mix. It was so cool. So you're a herper at heart, not a keeper at heart. Yeah, that's where it started, more or less. I remember the first time I tried to catch my first herp, which, again, was a frog. I was like four. And when it jumped, it scared the crap out of me. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Okay, but, and then yeah. so... Fast forward, did you start keeping before Northern uh, Lights Reptile Imports or was it oh, straight into, enough. yeah, okay. Cool. Yeah, so. so my first reptile was a part-time reptile at my mom's because my stepdad wanted a, a snake and they live in the States. So typical, go to Petco, there was a ball python sale going on. So it was like buy two for a price of like one or whatever kind of thing. So we got two ball pythons, go figure. And then I was only able to see them in the summertime since coming back and forth from Canada to States. I can't just bring them over. And when I moved back to Canada, I was still in high school. Not moved back, sorry. I went back from vacation and went back to school. And I really wanted to have another snake with me. So I got a boa. And then I'd say probably a year after that, I got my first lizard ever, which were, uh, they're pale gammas. They're little gammas. They look like beardies, but they're this big, like whole eight inches. And then from there, I got an Asian vine snake. And then from there, I got a Sulawesi black mangrove snake. And I was still under the age of 16. So you very quickly went from ball pythons <laughs> and the most common reptile to, let's go to reptiles nobody's ever heard of before. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. And there was, I've always wanted an actual mangrove snake, like the black and yellow ones that you always see photos of. That was my dream. And I would just read about them for hours on end online. And I was like, how do I get these? And I found a person in, uh, in Montreal that was selling one. Finally, it was like a baby cap, uh, captive born from Malaysia. And he messaged me, he's like, oh, I have this available, whatever, we talked, and then I got the snake, and then a year later, 
when he saw it was my birthday, he, he messaged me and he's like, I thought you were of age. You knew all the things already and you kept all these rear fang species. I'd never sell underage. And I was like, oh, I didn't Whoops. know. <laughs> yep. Whoopsie. But then from there, like I kept a bunch of weird different things over the years. And my, my first species ever produced were false water cobras. That was my main thing for a while. And then That's eventually- awesome started breed, uh, breeding mangrove snakes but one day i discovered filipino mangrove snakes specifically the um, the, the divergence the ones that have the bright blue and the yellow uh, striping through them and that was like my target of oh my god does this exist in the hobby where do i get it and like consistently for a year i was just scrolling through every ad possible like any website i could find and I ran into uh, terroristic.com, which is basically the, the European classified site, the main one up there. And I saw a picture of one in a garbage can. <laughs> and I was like, interesting. I'm like, but I want it. <laughs> so I messaged a guy and he's obviously it was in a garbage can. His cage was being cleaned, whatever. It's just a terrible photo to put on an ad, you know? For sure. <clears throat> and... I was like, how much is it? And he was like, 2,000 euro. And I was like, holy crap, that's a lot of money. Especially back then, like, it's still, the exchange rate sucks right now. But back then, it was pretty brutal. And I was like, okay, we'll figure it out. I'll start sending you money now. We'll figure it out. I had no idea how to get this snake. Not a clue. But I was going to figure it out. I was going to, like, if I had to snake, like, go to other people for babysitting until I figured it out. And I And this is still in Europe. Yeah, this is all this is in good. Europe. Yeah, yeah, and I just wanted this snake. I didn't mention that. That's right. It was in Germany, specifically. Sweet. And I, I couldn't figure it out. And then eventually someone reached out telling me they could help me out. And at that point, I can't just import one snake. They offered me two of the first ever first generation divergence at that point. They're babies, a pair of them. So I was like 1.2 group of a snake I've always freaking wanted in my life. Oh my God. Yes. Creep. How the process goes still. I have no idea. Yeah. And by that point, I called CBSA, the, Can the Canada Border uh, Service Agency, to figure out what to do. Got all my ducks in a row and I did my first import. This was back in 20 2014, I think. 2014 or 2015. I think it was 2015. Awesome. And yeah, I brought my, my first import in ever off of just luck, more or less. Had you already put the name Northern Lights on it yet? Or was no. this pre-Northern Lights? This was pre-Northern Lights, okay, yeah. Cool. That was just me just importing at the time. And um, yeah, so that's how it started. And then for a while, like, I thought this was pretty cool to get weird species into Canada that don't exist here. Like, yeah, maybe in the States, but not here. And, and we I all know there's a lot that we don't have here. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So I just have friends go in on it with me, like, just to cover costs, because it was just, it was cool, right? And then it just kind of grew into what it is today. That's awesome. Yeah. And, um... Because of all that, like I've always brought in the weird stuff, the really uncommon stuff. That's just what I've become to be known for is just not bringing the bearded dragons or the crested geckos. It's the weird oddball things people entrust me with because that's what I've always done. What kind of what what are the the permits and reg, like regulations and stuff? How how do you bring them in? Like um, um, in a general so, sense, we don't need. Yeah, so you have to really watch. The laws a lot of people don't realize the laws that we have that they just assume by law but we do have federal importation laws that a lot of people don't know so like salamanders newts turtles tortoises any herbivorous insect we actually cannot bring in so sorry one second, sorry uh, salamanders newts tur uh, turtles tortoises what was the last one herbivorous insects specifically herbivorous insects yeah. It's not so just devour our trees and stuff like that. Okay, that's super. I had no idea. Yeah. Okay, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, you're good. You're good. You're good. So anything that could be an agricultural pest potentially. Okay, cool. The only thing that's 
outside of that scope would be a mantis. I don't know why or what the issue is with orchid mantids. I guess they are just worried they'll be like the Chinese and they'll invade. Mm -hmm. I'm really not sure. It's a shame because they're Chinese mantises. Yeah, like that's all Chinese. I could think of. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. But, yeah, so those are the, the laws that we have to deal with. But past that, it's, it's really straightforward. And if you have CITES animals, I just get the, the CITES documents from the country of origin to bring them in under my name or whatever. And you, you want to do it right. And at the end of the day, aside fun facts, everybody with um, sorry, I lost my train of thought there. <laughs> that's okay. Well, that's okay. Yeah. So like, so in general, I, I guess, I guess in general, you're bringing, um, you're sourcing, Captive bred, quality captive bred animals for breeders outside of Canada. For specifically, your aim is species that we don't have here. Uh, more or less, yeah. So I like to bring in like a variety of different things. A lot of my stuff are pre-order stuff. Um, so how it works basically is I have a bunch of people I've gained business relationships with over the years in Europe. And they just send me their list because they don't want to deal with the public anymore. They just have me do the, the dirty work, so dirty to speak, you know, <laughs> which is fine. I really don't mind it. For sure. And I post on my website on their behalf. And I just basically, I include my service fee into the cost. So that's like my part of it. They get their animal cost that they want. I sell it on their behalf. The buyer pays me and then I pay the seller. And perfect. so it's, it's like a brokering service, right? Perfect. Yeah. So that, that perfectly leads me into my next question. As somebody cool. who has an addiction and a problem called buying reptiles, how do I find out where these lists are? Like, where do I go to see sort of, so you said your website, is that the best place to kind of figure out what you're yeah, bringing in? Yeah, so stuff I'm posting personally, it's all on my website on the available page for the most part. Sometimes I'll have very like little special posts. I'll put it on my personal page for just like funsies, whatever the things that don't want to put on my website in case they're more of a, a sensitive species i don't want someone to be like pretending they know what it is and trying to buy it so that kind of thing is very important to me i don't want them to go to just anybody but past that a lot of people do source their own animals and as long as they're not cites i could bring them in oh okay wow okay yeah that's that's interesting as well so so i guess that leads beautifully into a topic that's kind of going around a little bit lately cites yes um could you kind of discuss the, the role of CITES in, in the reptile uh, importation? Yeah, so I'm a terrible explainer. I apologize. Basically, CITES is there to protect threatened or endangered animals. Now, for whatever reason, they're not, like all of the endangered species or whatever, they're not all on CITES. It all comes down to a country's request. So it's not just, oh, this per this species in this country is uh, CITES now because it's endangered. No, it doesn't work that way. It's uh, like, let's say Costa Rica will reach out to the CITES organization and be like, hey, can we put this as a potential amendment into the CITES appendix? And can you guys vote on if this will pass and they could go on CITES to be regulated more? Because they want to protect that species within their country or whatever it might be, something like that. So there's three appendices with the CITES. There's one, two, and three, obviously. CITES one is the most protected animals. So things like Fiji iguanas, Tanzanian boas, Dumeril boas, Argentinian boas, uh, rhino iguanas, um, they're all CITES one. And for the most part, you cannot import them into Canada unless you get heavily inspected, if your place gets inspected, and you can't even sell the animals at all until you have, I think it's second generation, then you can start selling the babies. Uh, USA, that's why we have Fiji's here now. Yes, correct. So someone went okay. through all the effort of inspection, then they got their import permit and they're able to sell the, the following generations now to you guys or me or whoever. Oh, In the States, CITES one is just off the tables period, unless you're a mm -hmm. zoological facility or a scientific facility. Uh, okay. Unless they were there for whatever reason, like pre-CITES one, that's a different story. 
because like they're more or less spread and the private keepers can't breed them at that point. But there's like a paper trail, I guess, of sorts showing they've been around for longer than they've been on the appendix. Then you have CITES 2, which are a lot of your boas, pythons, monitors, your platys. They're just species at potential risk or that get overexploited from the country of origin. Hence why ball pythons are very common and popular. They're not endangered at all, <clears throat> but they're heavily exploited out of Africa, right? So there's CITES 2. Yeah, okay. so the CITES 2, so, they have a yearly quota. So, so even for CITES 2, you need paperwork? Like yes. as a keeper to, to have? Yeah, so... We like, have I don't think I've ever one. seen anyone give a piece of paper with a ball python before. No, that's just it. So based Birth on certificate. Act, yeah. Sorry? Birth certificate. Oh, yeah. <laughs> in a weird sense, right? Yeah. But technically, by law in Canada, if you own a CITES animal, you're supposed to have some traceable origin to some degree, even if it's a great, great, great second in line to the next family's cousins, grandparents, you know. It could even be something like that. But as long as you have some sort of traceability of, hey, here's a paperwork from a ball python 10 years ago that mine descend from. Yeah. Uh, it works. Um, okay. All my studies imports I bring in for the most part, I always have copies. So if anyone ever needs a copy of their animal that they got from me, I just give them a copy of the, the studies permits. Because even when you're shipping your animals, technically by law, you're supposed to be shipping it with a copy of the permit to prove legal origin. Technically. Now, it's Technically. it's never really been enforced up until recently. They have started randomly checking and whatnot. And I've been getting calls, not very often, but I get calls occasionally from Environment Canada with a checkup on somebody. If they're like, hey, we got this boa here and this person said they got it from you. Can you prove that? And I was like, yes, I shipped it this time i go look for the permit i give them the permit number and all's good so it's something that a lot of people should keep in mind more keep more aware of is try and get your documents just in case if you want to say these animal awesome okay so, sorry so just so just so i'm sort of like understanding so and this may be a stupid question but cites is governing the importation of species not the exportation out of the country of origin oh everywhere everywhere so okay so it does affect on both ends of, of the yeah okay so if, if it's crossing international border that's all that matters okay that makes sense yeah and also keeping all those documents that must be a lot of paperwork <laughs> yeah. Yeah. it kind of is it, it really is i've kept every single document from my first import just in case even the really useless ones because you never know right you never know 100 percent yeah better, better but, keep them than end up with a phone call you don't want to, you don't want to have exactly sure. exactly i like to keep all my ducks in a row with that so but yeah so those are the two main appendices there is cites appendix three it's the least worrisome so to speak it's just when specific localities are to be protected so a great example a russell's viper they are a non-cites species they're not protected unless they come from India wants all their animals protected, but knowing Russell's vipers are also Indonesian or Chinese, they can't control all of that because those two countries don't want them on CITES. They're too common. Mm -hmm. They want them out more or less, but India does want theirs touched. So India specifically has CITES regulation on theirs. It's a really interesting, interesting. way about yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. But that's, that's more or less just how it works. And, Basically, the people that are selling the animals, if I'm getting, I don't know, let's say another ball python, whatever, a ball python out of Germany, they just ask the government for paperwork, like, hey, actually, in, in Europe, they have all their animals um, registered with the government if they want to be able to export somewhere. So they're all registered. They let the government know, like, what it, what it is. They get the permits ready, and then we can ship them out. With importation, um, what kind of things do you go through for, um, like, having to deal with quarantines and stuff like that? Like, I know you're not really bringing, you're bringing in mostly question, captive right? bread, but... Um, I mean, there there is a small amount of long-term captives or wild cops that do come in. Um, 
I would be absolutely lying saying I have never seen mites because of course I have. Yeah. They're imports. They're from other people, like 20 different other sellers, or if there's a wild caught thing, it happens. Now, thankfully it's always going to be contained to that animal. They don't like, yes, they can spread in shipments, but they don't, they have never done that to date. It's just, they've always been with that particular animal and that is it. And I've even no noticed that if I have mites in the import room, they always stay in a very specific vicinity. They don't get bad until somebody doesn't care or they notice it five months later because they're looking for a new host at that point, right? They're not gonna, if they have a perfectly fine host that very point, they're not gonna be like, oh, screw this and go everywhere. That's one thing I've noticed. But anytime I notice a mite, like I go through every single animal very closely. So I unpack it, check them over. I look for kinks, injuries, and mites. And everything, like I have my bins for the small snakes. I pre-treat them about a week in advance with uh, permethrin. Or if I know I have hognose coming in, I'll use something else. Because I know they're very sensitive to permethrins. So I'll just do like a super heavy clean if i have any um like frontline or something i'll use frontline because that's much safer on the animal or if the animal comes in i'll use neem oil directly on the animal instead because neem oil is fine for a reptile but it kills insects it's actually pretty fascinating i've done test trials with mealworms and it kills a mealworm instantly it's crazy i've watched the video on youtube it's actually fascinating it's the craziest huh. thing so I always have those three things on hand. As a general rule, all my enclosures are treated in advance. Uh, go through everybody. If they all look good and clean, they go in each prospective house I have ready for them. And everything I have set up to the species. So if I have like a large mangrove snake, they have, it's not huge because they're only here for a week, but it's like a, like a two by two cubicle. They have branches, they have a hide, they have a water bowl and they're good. Um, but yeah, I check everybody over. They all get put into their enclosures. Any that I notice that might have an issue, whether it's mites or injuries, they get put aside, they get treated and they don't go near anything else until I know for sure they're fine. If they have to go to their prospective owner soon, I ask them, do you want me to still send it or do you want me to treat it while it's here? Now, and that's completely at their risk if they want to keep it here because in the day it wasn't my animal. So I don't know its history. If something happens, I, I just, I can't be responsible for that, especially if it came to me already injured or mites or whatever. Uh, more often than not, I've had people do both, but usually they'll just take the animal anyway. Like if it has mites, cause it's not that difficult to treat, for sure. but I'll get rid of the majority for them. And then they do the rest. Or if there's an injury and I don't want to send it, like I'll straight up tell the person, like, I'm not sending this right now. I will cover your shipping fee or your export fee, whatever it might be, but it needs to see my vet for X reason. And of course people are fine with that. That'd be a little weird if someone wasn't, <laughs> but like I've definitely had stuff like that happen extremely rarely though. Like every shipment I have roughly between four to 800 animals coming in, depending on the time of year, maybe I'll have an issue with one. Wow. No, I don't get mites all the time. Yeah, people are wondering. But Did you say four to eight hundred? Four to eight yeah, average. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So but very, very minimal issues. And you're keeping that that all that number of animals for you said just like a week and then everything's off to the new home basically. Yeah, more or less. Like <clears> some <throat> stuff I buy for myself for for the expos or something, or just for me to keep, or sometimes I can't meet a person's deadline for whatever so hold it for an extra couple weeks or something and there's like a small babysitting fee involved that's here nor there it depends on the situation though but um yeah like lizards when they're here they're all fed and everything snakes if they're for a week here they don't get fed because i don't want to feed them ship them and then they poop in transit cause that's not good for them right but they always get water they always get fed if required and all looked after just no different as if they're my own it's fascinating because it's almost yeah. like your your reptile room is 
always evolving every month you have a different reptile room with different species to kind of get to you know what i mean it's it's yeah. very or know, jealous month. yeah yeah it's, it's, it's very interesting like I, I love all my reptiles obviously but every the, the itch comes from being like okay i want to learn about something new or okay i yeah. want to experience a different species oh, right? it's almost learning. like you constantly have that learning. yeah 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 so that's yeah. that's really cool like kind of a small question i'd like to kind of throw in there is like are you noticing any trends like in the canadian or market or abroad like what in, in, in animals like with any particular trends and species um there is oh. some to some extent a couple of years ago it was like hog nose were all the rage and then the year or the shipment after it's not, it's not always a year but it's like almost in shipment sometimes house snakes were just like 25 percent of my shipments which was the weirdest thing i've had shipments so i'm trying to think i've had a lot of like strophurus geckos frilled dragons like a lot of australian dominant stuff um in one year oh gosh for some reason people like in Hong Kong and everything, you probably might've even noticed this trend. They really wanted black pine snakes for whatever reason. Cause I think they went ESA. I don't mm -hmm. know if they were already ESA, like the Endangered Species Act in the States, yeah. but I think they might've like, my information could be way wrong, but I think they recently went on to ESA and they can't be imported and exported from the States. And Hong Kong really wanted these big, large black snakes cause they're really cool. So I saw online, they were doing like a bidding war on this post for a pair of black pines and they hit like 8,000 euros and it was insane. I bought my first black pine for $280 once a month, <laughs> you know? That's crazy. And then because it was impossible to get black pines out of the States, they went to Mexican black king snakes. Mm -hmm. And this was like maybe four or five years ago. And everybody had Mexican black king snakes all of a sudden and trying to breed them. And they're everywhere, Canada, U.S., Europe, like insane. And everyone's just doing this black snake sale thing going on. And that was like a long-term trend, which finally crashed. But um, yeah, it's the weirdest thing to see this like random trends like that. But in the last year, I haven't really noticed any. It's just been here and there. It's been very slow like there's people breeding in general they're not having a good year and this has been so hot everywhere and the weather's like doing this yeah. and a lot of eggs and incubators so everything's been very slow and just not going well for people so there hasn't really been enough to go on in terms of trends yeah so then on the on the slight twist of that same question are there species that you see that are very consistent frill like dragon the years through the years they're just kind of like this they might not boom but they're always kind of like they're always there yeah frill dragons absolutely yeah. all the time they're pretty cool i always get yeah. those in um the genus boega like the mangrove snakes they're yeah. always in that's never a yeah. thing that's going to stop either because they don't come in on mass it's like five here, 10 there, whatever. But there's so many different species within the genus that you could do that. It's never going to yeah. overpopulate or whatever the word is. You won't be able to crash a market. Anymore. Super saturate, oversaturate. That you know, sort, yeah. You're not yeah. going to oversaturate the market with them. So that's that's Boega. What about the frilled dragons, though? It seems that they come in in like larger numbers and they're probably easier-ish to breed than the Boega um they're definitely easier to breed my average a year i was saying frilled dragons are probably between a, a hundred to 200 i bring in wow. um some for the can some for canada the most go to the states oh okay but yeah like 80 percent of my clients are us let's jump to greg drumroll please Beautiful. Reptibites. Woo. Woo. Okay. So I'm super excited about this. Uh, partially, and I know this should be the right reason I should be excited about it, partially because of the nutritional value. But more than that, and really, like, this is purely a selfish reason. I really, really, really hate having rats in my freezer. 
Like, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's one of the worst things ever. So yeah, how did what what was the inspiration behind starting to do this? Ah, I don't know if you can see her. Right there, there's a creature of habits. Wait. Does that work? Does that zoom in work? No. Oh, no. <laughs> Not well, at all. This lady right here. Okay. Her species is the cause of this madness. So. What species? Uh, <laughs> I uh, see her clearly enough. <laughs> yeah, they're called fire snakes, also known as a waggler's sepo. They are obligate frog eaters and normally not a big deal i could import feeder frogs from vietnam whatever problem is they could get seven eight feet long or bigger so that's, that's like a lot of frogs yeah yeah unreasonable amount of frogs and i'm not rich so it's out of the question <laughs> um they ate bull frog legs it's not a big deal but that's just protein, right? And some bone, there's no organ, there's no yeah. skin. You're missing the main nutritional value. It's not whole prey. People say, oh, you can digest food, but that's still not what their body is built for. I can't just, oh, a frog has this much calcium and this much, I don't know. You know, they're, they're just not built for the pre-built calcium dust. Mm -hmm. So my experimentation we'll call it began with i wish we could get reptilinks in canada oh that's what i kept eating me alive about but because of usda and um is it usda agriculture Depart yeah department of agriculture oh, you would know better yeah okay yeah so her department of agriculture in the states and then cfia the canadian food inspection agency big problem of trying to import raw meats, especially not for human consumption. That's a whole new thing. You gotta That's figure out. I, so I couldn't import reptilinks easily at all. And it just made no sense to try and do permits every single time I needed food and paying the freight. It just, they weren't even shipping anyway. So I was like, how do I do this myself? And I tried the the easy way using like jello gelatin like not literal jello but just gelatin whatever blended it up put put it with jello stuff and put it in like a shitty mold and they kept melting on me and i'm like what is going on and it would just be disgusting and then i tried doing the whole blendy thing into sausage casing and i was trying to do this so i could save on the cost of frog while still incorporating meat and frog together like i just kind of blend it all together and so they still get organ meat just not 10 frogs in one go and i tried sausage casing but i had to make it smell like frog it worked but i had to take a frog and like rub it all over the food all the time to make them want to eat it and it was just floppy and messy and I suck at filling sausage sausage casings clearly because it just wasn't working. And I was just at a loss. I couldn't figure it out. And I was just trying to figure out something at that point and then just go better from there. So eventually I figured out what to do. And it's still, it was with gelatin still, but a specific gelatin that doesn't melt at room temperature <laughs> it was great Ooh. yeah it was great but it took a lot of trial and error to figure out like the, the ratios and what to do this and that but basically long story short it came from the need to fill these gluttonous suckers that eat a lot of food and with giving them a whole prey at the same time while like the, the filler were both frog legs but they could still get their whole prey. Like I'd mix in like very small amount of mice or ground chicken. Like when you buy um, cat food, for example, raw cat food, it's whole prey, it's ground with no vegetation. So I was kind of like adding that in or buying chicken hearts and whatever. Now it's different. Like I'm more, more choosy, I guess, to what goes in because I'm now selling it, obviously. But that's how it started. 
and it was maddening. I was like a crazy scientist going on. Uh, I, I was about to ask, do you do you have any experience in anything of this stuff, or was this like completely out of the blue? I'm gonna try to make because it, it seems like a very hard process. <laughs> yeah, it was a very long, painful process in the kitchen of destroying everything. I had no idea what I was doing. I was just seeing if it worked. Whatever made sense, I tried. That's awesome. Good job. <laughs> That's Good awesome. Job. I'm glad it did. I'm glad it eventually yeah. worked. I know my yeah. animals love them. So Yeah, now they are to a point where it's very much a nutritionally balanced whatever you're feeding. So... I'm very confident in it. I'm happy to feed it to my guys. Even the, the pickiest frog obligate eaters I have, my my Chinese false cobras, they're very particular. They don't even touch frog legs. They even if you cut it off like a feeder frog that's frozen, they won't eat just a leg. It has to be the whole thing. Oh, that's very interesting. That's I don't know why. Yeah. Yeah. And now you have the option of like diverse diversifying the diet without like very easily i guess right you yeah exactly, what, yeah exactly so a great example hognose they by nature they love to eat toads and frogs and eggs like turtle eggs and lizard eggs like that's a, a major thing they actually do eat in the wild and it's minimal rodents but everyone feed some rodents in captivity because it's easy and it's just what generations were brought up to do like that's just the normal that's what they're supposed to eat but you just there's so many health issues that come with that and why not offer a more varied diet a great example my mangrove snakes when i used to breed them too high of a rodent diet their eggshells are too thick babies fail to hatch when you feed them mostly an avian diet, like chicks or whatever, the eggshells are much thinner and the babies can hatch. So diet even plays a role from mother to baby in that case. And you, so you, you have a variety of different, we'll call them flavors <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, that you're, that you've now kind of perfected yeah. um, to kind of focus on on multiple species, not just, not just the frog types. Correct. Um, and like if you were switching over and using this kind of to re be replacing, say like some other feeder, do you, do you find, or have you found that, um, weight gain differs? Like, is there a bit of a learning curve on how you feed your animal? Um, or, or do you find it's, hasn't really had a noticeable difference. So I'm, I'm going to answer this question weirdly. The, just trying to figure out quite what you're saying here. Like, I know what you're saying, but I read this in two ways. So do you mean like actual animal weight or do you mean how um, frequently you feed them? Does that change? Um, yeah. Well, how, how frequently you feed them, um like so if you're if you're or maybe the amount you're feeding um of say you're feeding mice would you do a similar weight okay um, um. to keep to keep your animal of a similar kind of size right like yes if i, if I, had, a, if I had a savannah monitor that's eating a x amount of bugs that i'm giving it yeah and i start to to feed it reptobites when I kind of go, well, this is about the size of. Does I don't strip by equate to a mouse. That is a very broad question, but I'll answer it to the best of my ability. You have a broad guy. So frogs, for example, and not a frog eater have fast metabolisms. And when you feed them frogs, they do need to eat more often. However, that's if you're feeding an actual frog. In this case, because it isn't, it's like it's 80% frog like for the frog formula, but there is a lot of avian prey for the rest of it, like the 20% brown chicken, whole okay. ground chicken. Right. So they could still be substituted just to be like once or twice a week instead of three times a week you would with an actual frog, much less to them. 
Right. So, for example, actually, <laughs> this is one of my little frog guys. Yeah. I'd say he's about the size of like a a large, fuzzy, small hopper. So this you'd feed the same as a hopper or a fuzzy mouse to the snake. Just nutritionally, it's, I guess, kind of on par with the calories. But yeah. when you get into... Yeah. Better all round, but but has similar kind of weight gain capacity. Yeah, exactly. That has a yeah. good weight to it, shockingly. Yeah. I but... know. I've, I've had one. Yeah. <laughs> How do they taste, Greg? You know what? You could, like... Very oh, funny. Too much detail, so, but there were, there, were, there were some fibers in there that were hard to get through. Yeah, but, like, that's just the inside. You can see it's... Yeah. Stuff. Oh, I remember. Stuff and things. You have it just sitting on your desk. How long can they... So they're supposed to be frozen, first of all, I guess? Yeah, so I freeze and vacuum seal them. Awesome. And then how long can they... Like like I said, you have it sitting on your desk. How long can it be sitting out for? It can stay out as long as you're not hitting 80 degrees. Because they'll slowly start to melt. But they they hold pretty well together. I haven't had any issues with melting in the last probably year and a half unless i really mess up for whatever reason you've been um, working on this for over a year oh yeah oh wow okay oh yeah yeah yep yeah like i made a big mistake when i first tried them and i i put it in a bowl and i put the float of the bowl in warm water and then i had soup yeah don't do that so i have just well, room, room temperature <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I have disclaimers now. Air thaw at room temperature. Yeah, because that. Don't do what Greg it. did. Don't do what Greg did. Yeah, but they've been sitting at seventy-seven degrees. Like this is one of my um, fish and invert. There's a lot of bugs and, uh, and fish. In this so what would one. you feed that to? Monitors are the main the main go to. So try and get monitors off of. Yeah, look at that. Oh, different color on the inside. But it's to get to get monitors off the the rodent diets that people feed them all the time, and especially let's take a water monitor. You're not going to be feeding it crickets. Yeah. What's it going to do? It's going to be a flea, right, to the monitor instead. You're be feeding and hundreds of crickets for one meal. It could be a whole box if it even could catch them, right? Mm -hmm. So this replicates that. There's superworms. There's waxworms. There's crickets. There's crayfish. There's chicken. All in this. That's super and, interesting. Yep. So it's compact, a lot of food, a lot of nutrients, and a water monitor could eat it <clears> without <throat> getting the high red meat content of a rodent. So is it all monitors that aren't really rodent eaters? Do we have, in general, in your opinion, and and you cannot answer this if you don't want to, mm -hmm. but is 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 most most of the like let's say herpetoculture feeding their animals wrong? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Absolutely. Yeah, I, ha I had a feeling. I had a feeling. So, like, so, so to go back to the monitors, for example, um, the problem with rodents is that they're too fatty. They're too fatty. They're too high. It sounds crazy to say, but like, oh, protein is probably the wrong word to use. But if we ate a steak every single day, that's gonna screw with us, right? It's, it's supposed to be like a, a rare treat. A rare thing that we get once in a blue moon by nature. A lion's not taking down an elephant every single time, right? For sure. So things like gout is a great example that you can get from eating too much red meat. Yeah. Um, monitors, leopard geckos, bearded dragons, they could, they're at risk of gout. It's actually been proven with bearded dragons and leopard geckos when they have too many high protein foods, they get gout. So this would help prevent issues like that because they're not getting such rich foods all the time. That's interesting. What about yeah. the concept of gut loading? Ah, I love gut loading. Gut load. You love gut loading. Okay, awesome. So in general, when you like you get insects or whatever, you can gut load. But with reptivites, obviously you can't gut load. So is there is it pre gut? I don't even know if this question makes sense. But um, so I, I know what you're getting at, but more or less everything's already there. So pre-gut loaded, I, I do gut load my crickets that I use in in the formulas. So they get all oh, okay. 
fresh veggies and I actually my omnivore bites I make the 50% it's more like 60% veggies 40% meats what would you I, give that to I give it to um you can do bearded dragons skinks okay. uh sale fins I take the leftovers that where I can't quite make enough out of and I flatten it I freeze it and I break it into pieces and I feed it to my crickets yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right? I was actually as you were saying that I was like, oh, I wonder if I could feed some of my my uh, delectables. Yeah. Some, uh, Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you're just going to be putting the same nutrients into them that you would be to your animal end of the day, yeah. right? So yeah. why not at that point? And come to find out the omnivore diet, I mean, formula, whatever you want to call it, I do. Fish love it. My fish freaking love it. It's I great. saw your post about it yesterday. That's really cool. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> So, I would bet, though, that fish would eat most of the formulas. Mm -hmm. mm. Yep, absolutely. Even my eel goes after the omnivore one. It's like, dude, there's plants in there. What are you doing? That's super but. interesting. So, yeah, so I guess because there's a mix of things in there, it's kind of you're already putting what you would gut load the insects with. You're already putting into the formulas. So the yeah, reptiles exactly. So my omnivore one, I always have minimum of five different vegetations. Wow. Okay. Minimum. So if someone wants to get lazy and just start just feeding that, it's not ideal to do that because you really, at the end of the day, you should be giving actual prey items to your animals for a variety. It is very important. But if someone gets lazy and they don't want to, there's still a lot of nutrients into that one little piece. Yeah. Like my most recent omnivore formula I've done was protein wise it was all like my main base it's, it's ground chicken ground whole chicken like bone organ everything egg um then yeah i did quite like that yeah shell too yeah everything whole right yeah. in and um salmon that was just like salmon meat in that case then vegetation wise i have dandelion i have um prickly pear cactus i did blueberry collard greens and oh god what was the other one i think i did beet greens just oh and endive that's right so it all just goes into one little one little piece Marshall. yeah oh that's very cool i'm 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 excited this is around or yeah. cylindrical or frog shaped <laughs> <laughs> No, me too. Especially like collecting crickets. Sorry, like, unless you unless you ask your question, just to, just finish the train of thought. Like, I I, I suck at keeping um, anything alive, not reptiles. I'm talking insect wise. <laughs> insect wise, like I'll get crickets and I, I like whatever it is. I get a hundred. I'll feed the fifty, and then I like come back to find the other 50, 50 dead. So it's more of I'm constantly going to the store. Obviously, I'm exaggerating numbers, but you know, it's more of like I'm constantly going to the store <laughs> to get insects and stuff like that. Whereas this could be instead of going to the store twice a week this could be i'll go once a week and then have the repti bites as the second yeah uh, absolutely kind of I've so had, I, I think it's makes a lot of people much easier but yeah well i've had agamas eat them right on my hands without issues so as long as your animal could eat off the stats or something without needing that crazy movement going on it's no problem yeah um, my aki goes crazy over i've seen that yeah as soon as i bring them out and he'll actually see me with my little, the little, I use the same bowl to thaw them in and he'll yeah. put his glass like, well, he's, he's in here and he'll put his, he'll, he'll look over the edge staring at it till it's thawed, <laughs> you know, and then I'll hold him up and he's just like, yeah, yes. it's very, Treats. Yeah, it's, it's exciting and I can get him to jump for them and like, I make him work for it. He doesn't get it. That's free, awesome. You know, I have seen the videos of him jumping for him. Yeah. <laughs> But, uh, Greg, you were about to ask something. I interrupted you. I apologize. Oh, I, I guess um, a, a, another question that I think maybe you know more experienced people will will have a, a sense of this. But for people who are kind of watching this without a ton of background, like heat, like kind of incorporating since we're talking about diet and food, I think with reptiles, mm -hmm. heat is such a it's something everyone knows, but I think people kind of overlook and it's like, yes. It, and I, and I don't know in a general sense of like what kind of temps need to exist on a base level 
just for proper digestion uh, and what can happen if they don't have that capacity so i have a very reserved opinion that people are probably going to be like oh, you know Ooh, controversy we like that keep going <laughs> so basically there's many different ways we can heat our animals right whether it's belly heat uh lights or um what do you call it room. heat panels heat panels you know. Those are three main ones, and ceramic heat emitters in this case will fall under heat panels in my conversation. Heat panels and belly heat just need to go. So, and I'll explain why. Unless it's for a baby snake, I understand why belly is, heat is used. They're very small, the heat can penetrate them. However, let's compare human standards. If you have a heated blanket and you're laying on it, what side of you is hot? The outside. The bottom the side. Yeah. <laughs> or wherever it is. But that's that's great. It's just that side. Just that, right? yeah. Yeah. So your entire body is not regulating properly. You're still going to be freezing your butt off on the exposed side. Whereas if you're in the sun, you're Completely sweating your face off, right? Mm -hmm. It's because there's a different kind of infrared that's hitting you. So I, I forget exactly how it's called. It's like IRA, IRB, and IRC. I could be saying that wrong, but it's the different wavelengths of penetration that heat gives. So under tank heating is bare minimum. It only heats up like your, your dermis level at most. It won't hit your organs. Whereas heat panels, thermic heat emitters, it raises the ambient heat and it raises your overall body temperature but it's still not penetrating deep enough for digestion. Whereas if you have, no, this is very specific, basking lights, not all of them will fully penetrate a reptile's body. If you take like, oh, I don't know, an incandescent 70 watt lights, like those teardrop shaped ones, compare it to a halogen, let's say, I don't know, a par, a par 20, 50 watt halogen, the small, halogens like yay big and you have them both on you stick your hand underneath them the halogen is going to make your hand heat up a lot more <laughs> well, your entire hand top to bottom eventually if you keep it there for a long time whereas incandescent it's just whatever you feel it but that's mm -hmm. it so halogens being a spotlight and particularly if you use them with reptiles, they have to be frosted lens. Otherwise, you risk burning your reptile. Note to people out there. It penetrates their entire body top and bottom to the point where, depending on the basking spot, it's going to stay warm for an hour or two after lights are off because the type of wavelength that's coming out of it can penetrate either the rock or the log or whatever it might be. So that allows like a nocturnal animal to come out and sit on the piece of wood or whatever for a while to get a little bit of extra heat. And that is where digestion plays a crucial part, I guess we'll call it, or the light plays a crucial part in the digestion. There we go. And using floodlights or a light that penetrates the entire body allows for better digestion. Mealworms, you can use this for an example, actually. If you ever wanted to experiment, I don't I recommend it. If you feed a leopard gecko a bunch of mealworms that has a heat pad, they're going to regurgitate it probably the next day. If you have them on a spotlight, they're probably not going to regurgitate it because they could digest the tough outer skin of a mealworm. Now, that's not always going to be the case, but they are at higher risk of doing that. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So that's my little rant. People are going to be like, well, that doesn't happen to me. It's not going to happen to everybody. For sure. Yeah. Well, and the, the sad the sad reality is halogens are getting harder and harder to find now too. Amazon, dude. Yeah, that's true. I guess uh, America still. Uh, yeah. Still has them. Yeah. Yeah. So I get all yeah. mine off Amazon, just par par thirties or par twenties, fifty watts. Yeah. Packs yeah. of ten. It's great. Because <laughs> I go to crappy tire and I can get like. There's like one little pack you can get, and that's about it. Yeah. But, but uh, they're great. I love halogens. They're perfect. So do you think, like, 
fifties in 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 my brain a fifty isn't that high. I know a fifty halogen is a lot more than the equivalent of uh, a fifty of something else. But yeah. do you find like um, I run like way way higher for my monitors? Yeah. Um, or else it's like they're sitting on top of. Oh, for sure. Like, and it all yeah. comes down to the type of enclosure you're using too, right? Is it enclosed? Yeah. Is it made of PVC? Is it made of wood? Is it screen top? What's the ambient room temperature? Like all this is going to yeah, play yeah. a root, like a huge role in the temperature it's going like, to be putting off, right? Mm -hmm. um, I have a four foot Reptizoo at the bottom here. In wintertime, I had two 70 watt halogens running, par 38s. And it still wasn't hot enough in there. Yeah. It was insane, but you put that in closed wood terrarium, it's going to turn into jerky. So that's one thing people have to keep in mind is the the application, right? Common mm -hmm. sense, I guess. People need to play a role with that one. Yeah, it's a um, tough one for some people. Yeah, like I have in in this one here, I have a what is it? A one fifty DP emitter and a seventy five watt halogen. Yeah. And that'll keep it up around 135 if they're like maybe a foot off the ground. Yeah. And then yep. I have to bend I I have little things if it gets too hot in there that fans will turn on to Yeah, that's perfect. Um, that's perfect. To cool the ambient because it's not a massive <laughs> enclosure. But my savannah roams free about through the basement. So you know the time she's in there isn't the same. Hmm. No, that works perfectly though. And yeah. Like this, so many... kind of... oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Don't go. go ahead. I just find it an interesting topic where, like, all of us do it. It's 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 different for all your species, but it's so specific. Yeah. We've all found little uh, little things we obsess over. Yeah, it's so true. My favorite thing to use with halogens, like people think, oh, 75 watts too hot. So then they go for a little 50 watt, but then the whole thing's too small and there's not enough of a spotlight, right? Mm -hmm. And I love how Home Depot, even Amazon, they had the Lutron plug and play dimmers. We just plug it into the mm. dome and you have a switch, right? Um, yeah. I use it all of mine because you just adjust it. Like if it's on a hot day, the room temperature is higher, lower the dimmer a bit so you still have a basking spot. Yeah. It's great. Well, that's yeah. a good idea. Yeah. I've got my basement. This is my room now. So it's pretty consistent all year. But yeah, that's a really good idea, actually. <laughs> you mentioned supplementation. Do you supplement? Um, I don't assume you supplement the snakes when you're feeding them, but are you supplementing like insectivores similar to what you would with crickets? So if that's that's a whole other can of worms. Um, it depends how the animal's being kept. I do not. I did at first, and I realized I really shouldn't. I do not add D3. I do not add calcium, like any extra supplements to my foods. Okay. Like in my personal ones anyway, because I have everything with UVB. Now the UVB can already synthesize calcium and D3. Yeah. If you offer too much D3, you risk um, um, vitamin D3 toxicity, right? Yeah. And with that, many people don't know, you could get basically a reverse metabolic bone disease situation going where it looks like metabolic bone disease and the bones just kind of cave in on each other. So it's a very rare, real thing. Um, herptivite shockingly has absurd amounts of D3, for example. So if anyone uses herptivite and uses my food, do not mix the two together, whatever you do, because you don't want to do a whole prey on top of more D3, if you're offering UVB, you're just asking for a problem. Constantly. So anytime my stuff get, gets fed off, I recommend no extra supplementation because there is whole prey in it. Um, that's not saying don't supplement, but just watch how much you're doing. Once a month, once every two months, that's fine. Or if you're doing actual just bugs that haven't been gut loaded, feel free to supplement at that point. Right. But like my guys, I use the Arcadia Revitalized D3. It has a micro amount of D3 in it compared to other supplements. 
And I do that like maybe once every two months. That's it. Awesome. That makes sense. Cool. Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Well, in that case, Greg, do you have any more uh, any more questions for Ashley? I don't right now. I will as soon as we stop this, I'm sure. But, uh, but, the second yeah, we close here, you'll be like, I remembered another 10 questions. Yeah. It's been great, though. Yeah, it's it's been nice chatting. Absolutely. Yeah, no, this was awesome. Thank you very much, Ash, yeah. for coming on. Hey, no worries. Yeah, Greg, thank can you for you let everybody know. Can you let everybody know <laughs> where um, where they can find, well, first of all, where they can find you, where they can keep up with you, and also where they can find Reptibytes, where they can buy Reptibytes, and don't forget to mention that you will be at CRBE this week yes, with Reptibytes. <laughs> or next week, or whenever... In the next couple of, of days, 16th of September, <laughs> yeah. will be, yeah. yeah. So basically, I have Reptibytes on my website, reptibytes.ca. Um, not shipping yet. I will be very soon. Um, for now, I'll just pick up our expo meetups. Um, I have my Facebook page, Reptibytes. And yeah, that's basically the best place to find me is just on Facebook as me, my name. The chances of me accepting your friend request is very slim, but I might, <laughs> but, you know, you can try. <laughs> but there, but yeah, Repti Bites and Northern Lights have my two pages on Facebook and I post things there too. Perfect. And you can find those <laughs> links in the description. Go check them out. Go give Ashley a follow. Go give Mr. Greg a follow beneath the canopy exotics. And uh, yeah, once again, thank you both very much for coming on. And, yeah, no uh, problem. And for everyone yeah, listening, thanks a lot. Thank you for listening. We will see you on the next one.